Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. I have the great Patrick Smith to my right. He came to join us today, the legend in the uh, in the backcountry. Uh, to my left, I had Ch- I have Chad Shumway, uh, new business partner and good friend, and uh, we're going to discuss all things Kafaru. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So, Patrick, kind of you. I get pestered constantly to get you uh, on the podcast, but you won't come out of the woods, even at your uh, young age. How old are you now? Uh, I'll be 77 in September. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, if you can believe that, I can't get him out of the woods. So so when did you start Mountain Smith, which is the company you owned before Kafaru? 1979. And that was originally basically out of your garage, like most companies like that, wasn't it? It was indeed. So, when you got that going, did you did you imagine it would turn out to to what it ended up being? I mean, it ended up uh, becoming almost all consuming, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was. I imagined that it would be successful, and it was, and that was very gratifying. I got to make a career in the backcountry. So, what uh, what was your what would you say your first and biggest? Uh, achievement or accomplishment was where you knew you were, you know, making a, a pretty impressive foundation in the industry. Um, was it, was it lumbar packs? Was it suspensions? What was something where you were like, okay, I'm definitely making, making good headway here. Well, the lumbar packs, uh, were definitely part of it. I guess the most significant, uh, event was when REI summoned me to Seattle and told me that Mountain Smith was going to go system wide uh, in the REI uh, sales network, and that I kind of realized I had arrived, and I had to get busy and motivate all the different stores around the country to uh, sell my stuff, and uh, so I. <laughs> bought a travel hall four-wheel drive international harvester vehicle and hit the road and started visiting all the stores i could drive to and walked in the door and invited the sales staff that sold backpacks to go backpacking i had the back of the travel hall filled with mountain smith backpacks and they got to go wherever they knew to go backpacking, and that's what we did. And it was a huge success. REI was a uh, breakthrough. I knew, I knew we had arrived. So did that become, uh, like, overwhelming quickly, or did it take some time? Or, uh, or was it one of those things where it took off and you just held on as tight as you could and did your best? <laughs> The, the last part, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Did, uh, did all the REIs end up picking uh, you up in the western United States or all over, or what happened with that? All over. Yeah. yeah. So I wound up flying to the eastern uh, uh, stores in New England and the southeast, all the mountain uh, Appalachian chain stores. Uh, I had to fly there. That was too far to drive. I didn't want to drive across the eastern United States anyway. <laughs> There's not much there to see for a mountain guy. So when uh, what what year? Now you you ended up 
selling that and becoming, they basically put you in place as their chief designer when you sold Mountain Smith and you held that position uh, for a little while before you started Kafari. What year was that? Uh, 94 is when uh, Sarah and I sold Mountain Smith. And by 97, uh, we uh, kicked off. Wait a minute. 97, yeah. 1997 is when I st- me and Sarah started up Kifaru. And uh, does that answer the question? I think so, yeah. I, I uh, kind of given the people um, just a brief background. You know, during that time, I know some people don't, you know, realize, especially the new uh, customers of, you know, Kafaru, how long, you know, we've been in business and then, you know, some of the different things that you've, um, well, the way I always put it is is there was one of two men that kind of built the foundation of the, the, the house we're all playing in today, which was either you or Dana, which is a long, long time competitor of Kafaru's even to this day. And you you pioneered a lot of the suspensions um the uh well i i guess the the delta straps that was something that you more or less pioneered the dual delta straps those weren't on packs before you started putting them on and that came from the lumbar pack originally didn't it yes it did it made lumbar packs work without shoulder straps because the angle straps a 45 degree angle approximately pull the top of the big lumbar pack uh, into the small of, of one's back and made it possible to carry pretty big loads uh, without shoulder straps. You, you patented that, didn't you? Yes, we did. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's obviously far gone now because people copy the crap out of you, um, as well as your adjustable load lifter angle. Uh, that was another one you had patented that uh, it recently has been copied. <laughs> but Finally, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, and we've modified it a little bit from what you originally had. It's not as adjustable now, but it's a little easier to deal with. But you still have a pretty substantial amount of adjustability. But that was something else. You were so comfort-driven is where that was inspired by your time in the field, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I imagined a better way. I mean, this is there's got to be a better way to be comfortable, especially as I aged, and so that contributed a lot to comfort and the ability to carry heavier loads. Like I've always been a hunter and a backpacker, backpack hunter. So when you when you uh, got into this, I guess uh, when I say got into this with Mountain Smith. How much did you change from Mountain Smith to Kafaru? Like, was there things that you knew you wanted to stay away from that happened during the Mountain Smith days and kind of cater to for Kafaru? Or did you kind of run the same business model? Well, I was able to incorporate hunting elements uh, into my backpack designs. Uh, I had already invented the gun bearer. Uh, I was working on the duplex suspension system. Uh, I've got to go full bore with hunting adaptations from essentially mountaineering backpacks, which was my background, but I'd always been hunting too with those packs, and so I got to go full bore with hunting adaptations when I started up Kifaru. It was kind of like really, truly coming home and doing what I've really really wanted to do and so Kifari was great fun gotcha and uh 
I guess now, and a lot of people know, um, one of the reasons Chad's on here, and, and actually BJ, which I didn't announce originally, is across the table from me. BJ, you want to say hello to everyone? Yep, I'm here too. Well, that didn't work. Let's try that one more time. Well, I just don't think it's going to work, so I guess you're going to hear, hear BJ through everybody else's you, mind. You just don't want anybody to hear me. That's a good thing. So I'm, I'm Aaron, you have enough buttons over there. Surely you can get him on here. Uh, Aaron's pushing buttons. I, yeah, I don't. I, uh, I only know uh, no worky. I don't know what's going on. No worky. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, uh, recently, um, Patrick and Sarah have uh, sold uh, Kafaru to Chad uh, and myself and BJ, and I guess that was two days ago when it was finalized. Uh, the one day I, I saw you probably a week ago, you looked sad. Um, are you looking back at all the time you've had and do you have any regrets? Do you have anything you would have done different? Because from what I've known of you, not a lot of room for regret. You've done a lot. Um, you looking back and wish you did anything or did you accomplish pretty much everything you wanted to? Well, it's bittersweet. Uh, positives and negatives uh, there's some sadness there but also it was time mm. it was time to turn it over to the next generation you guys are younger and in the prime of your career and I wanted the company to advance and it was it was time for me yes I've accomplished a lot and it was time for me to kind of wander off into the mountains and not have to run a business. So do you think uh, with the sale, are you, you know, obviously maybe you'll lie uh, uh, <laughs> because we're all in front of you, but are you relatively happy with Chad? Obviously you've had to deal with me for quite some time, but uh, I tried to explain to you Chad was a good guy and you met BJ. You seem to be over, overall fairly pleased with, uh, with Chad and his demeanor and mentality and, and, and what he stands by. Did uh, would you say that um, you're feeling good about it? Yes, I am. This is the ideal outcome. Uh, perfect successors. You're not just saying uh, that because Chad and I are sitting from you, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> 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 no, not really. It's uh, I always imagined uh, hardcore men taking my company on into the future and. I think I'm looking at them right now, so it's it's all good. I'm I'm very pleased. This is the best possible outcome. I do remember the first time we talked. I, I was just a call out of the blue. I think Aaron had kind of uh, kind of told you I was going to be calling and and prime prime the pump a little bit, and I could tell that it was almost uh, the first day. Is this guy worth messing with? Is this worth wasting my time on? Is and I, but as I as I talked to you further, I kind of. It didn't take me long to understand that you were looking for for somebody that was not interested in, in just making a buck, that it was about uh, carrying on the traditions that you have instilled in this company, the level of quality uh, that, that, that you and the name of this company represent. And and uh, that's that was a really good fit for me, too. I was not looking for a Walmart brand. I was really excited to, to stand on uh, your shoulders and see where where we could go uh from here with that and again the first call was um well next to the first first time i met my wife it was right up there with a good good uh, a good first meeting and, and uh although we didn't get a chance to shake hands right then i think it was a a good fit for both of us when we hung the phone up and and uh i'm excited to be here 
I think so, too. I didn't sell the suits. <laughs> he yeah. was ready to put and, buckles uh, on packs yesterday. He was, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, it was kind of a unique, uh, I guess, initial meeting between you and I just because it was happenstance, more or less, when we when we met. And uh, on my end, I was like, this is the first guy I've met that's not totally full of shit with how much time he spends in the in the field and you, you, you had a level, um, a, a knowledge base that was, you know, high enough to where I never, I mean, I, it was some, you or somebody I could come to for, for knowledge, which, you know, at that time I was spending quite a bit of time, you know, in the field. And I remember multiple times where you could see I was stressing out here where you were like, you need to get your ass out in the field and go calm down, which is hard for people to understand that. I guess I could say you got it. Like, um, you had taught me, Early on, you you cannot design from a um, from a desk. You can't design from a college background with no field experience. That you need to be in the field, and uh, the feedback we get from you know to this day back to when I started and when you you began, um, the finite details are there for for hunters that know uh, people that design this not from a book, not from theory or inference or whatever you want to call it it's from actually being boots on the ground and you instilled that from me from the beginning like get your ass out there and figure it out from what you need not from a guess and uh and you you led the way with that obviously for many many years all true (laughs) (laughs) what else could i say Uh, with uh you hit the ground here uh running and uh, your inclination was to design and manage and market from the field, and that fit my wishes and requirements perfectly. It, it was a it was a unique um, because I, man, for lack of a better explanation, the first time I took the pack out, I'm like, how do more people not know about this company? And, and even now, we're still not known as well as we are we're going to be because I. I remember you handed me a few different packs and I went into the Maroon Bells. I was on a five or six day scouting trip and the entire hike in, and I didn't have a ton of weight, like 55 pounds or 60 made with optics, but I was like, why the hell have I, it was the last pack I tested. And I'm like, how have I not known about this more often? And then from that point on, I was like a bad penny. You couldn't really get rid of me. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we started different designs and and, uh, started to increase marketing and our name's gotten known, but even now, like Chad had mentioned yesterday, there's still, we are a small company and there's still obviously people that don't know about us, but the, the word's getting out of, out there. And, we, and we've grown quite a bit in the last, you know, few few years and, and the designs have changed because of technology, which is which is handy. But did you did you think, um, I, I found it com, com, not comical, I was intrigued by the fact when a pack would come out that was new, state-of-the-art and you'd pull out something from the 80s or 90s from under your table be like, yeah, they've already tried that. And it was literally a company dumping marketing into a, a carbon frame. You had carbon frames and stays from, what, mid-90s? Whoa, probably earlier than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, the carbon was sold that had wood in it. <laughs> I, I would say early 80s I was messing around with, with carbon fiber. Uh, as you know, uh, it, it was too limber. Yeah. And so I came up with the idea of laminated wood and carbon, which made it rigid enough to carry 100-pound loads yeah. without sagging so that you 
I'm going to talk technically here, so that you get continue to get shoulder lift function uh, because the the suspension system did not sag. And I have to say, so to this day, I don't know how many packs we're selling a year, but you know, in the, in the thousands, whatever it is, I think we've had seven of those stays break, four of them from horses. So that should tell you that compare that to a carbon frame, it's several thousand carbon frames have broken. I yeah. think we've had four horses step on bucking incidents where the pack flies off. And uh, I broke one at a, at a show just to show it could be done, but the amount of stress it would take over my knee and it fucking hurt when it broke. Cause uh, when it finally broke free, it basically, you know, rattled my hands like breaking an arrow. And we had one 200 pound dude for whatever reason show his friends how strong the pack was so he plopped his big ass down on top of the frame with it on the ground and and that was enough to finally break one he said well i was testing it and i'm like well i don't know at what case you would have a 150 pound load on your back unless your friend jumped on top of the frame and you fell to the ground because you have two uh basically static points pressing against each other he's like yeah i didn't really ever think about that and i'm like well how much do you weigh and, you know, whatever he weighed, and, and those were the only ones we've had broken in the entire existence since you've invented those, the, the basically the composite stay, which yeah. is pretty amazing. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, and we're pretty out front. If we have something that is a possible weak point, um, we definitely don't hide behind things, uh, which I, that was something you also were very clear about from the beginning of just do your do, do everything you can to make the best and highest quality and if there's an issue talk about it and fix it and so if we've ever had any issue where there was uh something potentially as far as durability wise going on just make it stronger and better and, and don't hide behind it which our customer service and our our what we stand by has definitely stood out above the crowd uh that we're now dealing with for for doing that i mean we we just make announcements if there's an issue which there's very rarely any issues but we also, you, well, how long did you test the KU pack? Half my life, I think, is what it was, but. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Typically, it's 18 months to 24 months that I give a new, uh, especially suspension system design, uh, I just give it hell for, for a long time. So I'm not going to mention any other companies, but there was a recent thread on uh, one of the outdoor forums about um, one of their new packs uh, frames breaking. And one of ours? No. Okay. No, fuck no, you kill me. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, had to check. Yeah, no. One of our uh, one of one of our competitors, and and really what had 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 that thread had boiled down to was how long is the testing uh, for those. And someone brought up the testing should be one to two years, and, and one of the other people said, that's impossible. And I was like, our new frame we tested for over two years. Um, when I packed that giant moose out in the territories, that was halfway through the first testing of one of our frames. And when we packed my other moose out, that was a year and a half into the testing of our current uh, duplex light frame um, and multiple iterations and, and multiple people trying it. And that was one thing that you buried into my head was there's certain things you don't have to test as long. A bag is a bag. So you put the bag, you make sure it's correct. You test it for weight, for failures, and, and, and it's shorter. But a suspension should be tested 
for a minimum of 18 months to two years, which takes time. It's a pain in the ass because you want it to come out as you're as you're testing it. Um, but you I was quite certain if we came out with something that, that, that failed, you would shoot me with your whatever arsenal you had at the time. So I we've just always kind of stayed with that. Oh, well, it's one of the reasons why I selected you, Aaron. I'm a good listener, sort of. No. <laughs> oh, your, your, your instincts are good, too. Uh, you got it from the get-go. I try. Um, I'd say, I mean, as far as with you, you, you actually, you taught me as much about backpacking, but you probably taught me more about not being such a knucklehead, I would say, was probably, and, uh, you know, being a better man in general. I had a fairly good background in, in backpack hunting, you know, already is in field craft and survival to a point you were testing me at times. Remember, you had me skinning squirrels and fish and just see if I knew, actually knew what I was talking about. But and build fires, build fires, yeah, anywhere, anytime, yeah. Which we we did. I mean, we went on several backpacking trips. But really, what I learned more from you is is uh, um, you know, I w- I had a fairly decent leadership background already, but you taught me how to step back look at something from a different perspective and step back in the conversation with a totally different perspective which was huge for me and you've taught me to calm down too I'm still wound for sound but you got me to calm down several levels lower than when I first started here I was pretty wound up which has been you know good good for me uh and I can't thank you enough for that (laughs) but it's been it's been good I uh without getting yeah, choked up. Definitely look at you as a father, and I can't thank you enough for that. I mean, above and beyond the the backpack industry. So, yeah. Well, I look at you as the son I never had, too. Yeah, yeah. The pain in the ass, son. Sometimes, but definitely. <laughs> that's that's a good kind of son to have. Yeah. Well, when you uh, when you first met me, I think you were thrown off a little bit by me, from what I remember. I don't think you knew how to take me. Uh, probably, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, I would say not true. I, I re- realized that you were, yes, you were wound tight, but it was in a good direction. <laughs> and, and seriously, I took you at face value from the get go, Aaron. Yeah. Well, that's good to, good to hear. Um, we had a, we had a good run. I have to say, uh, I, I look back and think if, if, uh, I was my age and you were my age, what, what could have happened? Cause I, I dove into this. You were, 65 probably uh 60 something oh mid to late 60s how long have you been on board eight years 10 now 10 10, yeah a little over 10 since i met you Uh, oh then i would have been 66 then thereabouts but you're still getting after it i was oh yeah i the first time we went out i thought this old man's gonna die and then you got back there and made me biscuits and i'm like well i was wrong (laughs) he was making me biscuits (laughs) you well you uh, <laughs> while we're talking about that you pioneered the uh, the backpackable stove uh, teepee industry as well which we haven't really touched on that was that was you from the beginning and there are a lot of people copying that now yeah I guess there are but it it was it was one of the finest things I ever did especially for staying in the field being able to get warm and dry that's something I imagine too uh, how the how in the world do you stay in the field and make it living back there rather than an expedition survival situation and so i was highly motivated to bring the campfire inside and uh, worked at it for a long time and 
that was that was one of the things I'm most proud of that the duplex suspension system lumbar packs gun bearer all that kind of stuff but the heated shelters are uh, ongoing and they they changed my career and I guess I think they're changing all kinds of hunters particularly hunters because it's the time of the year that we're out there the duration that we're out there the loads we have to carry uh that was a big one yeah and i think um what we we have in store in the future i'm excited about as far as what i was able to learn from you on, on designs and things like of that with the stoves and the shelters um and, and trying to expand the bandwidth of the company because we i mean quite honestly we kind of started to hit our max not potential of the company but we we're running out of room in the building is, is really what's going on. And uh, that's kind of been something right three years ago, we started to get to where we knew we were going to run out of room, um, which I, even for me, I had, uh, you know, big eyes and, uh, you know, was, was ready to take on the world, but um, it, it, it takes a lot of space to carry all of this stuff at one time. And did you think it'd get this big? Uh yeah, again, as uh, I imagined, it would be this big, and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sure. Uh, so um, re- rewinding, kind of changing gears just a, a little bit, like you brought up the gun bearer, um, which uh, is basically a weapons-carrying system at the ready, so you can use trekking poles or glass with your binoculars. And probably, I would say, in a second and a half, um, it's pretty pretty accurate that's about how fast i can get the gun at the ready you're probably quicker at it than i am uh when did you come out with that and was that for fear of getting eaten by a brown bear yes it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'd gone on a uh, caribou hunt in alaska and oh boy coming back out with caribou parts on your back through the alders and the thickets uh with a rifle <laughs> not at the ready uh motivated me to correct that problem and, and so that it, from hunting in alaska was the origin of the invention of the gun bearer yes it, that that's true gotcha well it was it was um at one point in time one of our um uh one of the people that works for one of our competitors who i'm semi friends with not not actually so much anymore but it was it was comical he had brought up he said it's pretty amazing that you could come up with these things and not be a hunter and i was like what? And he's like, yeah, he doesn't hunt. And I'm like, oh, really? Uh, I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I just ate a marmot with him. You know, I didn't say that, but I was like, he's uh, hunted all over the world. I guess you've mostly you've hunted in Africa, all over North America. Um, but you've got, uh, I guess you've got a doll and a mountain goat and a grizzly and a brown bear. Or do you have just a brown bear? I couldn't remember. Well, it's a, it's a grizzly. It was an interior yeah. bear. If they're not a not coastal, they're called gri- grizzlies, but yeah, it's a they're parallel. the same species. Yeah, I think it's the sick. Is it the sixty fourth? One of the parallels is what separates a brown bear from a grizzly. So I guess if he wakes up and takes crap on the south of the parallel, he's one, and if he turns into a brown bear, <laughs> yeah, on the, the other. But but you you've been um, 
hunting elk and mule deer and everything else for many, many, many years. And sure. it just wasn't something that you ever promoted. And social media wasn't going on back then. And, and you're an amazing writer. And your vocabulary makes me feel lesser of a man every time I talk to you. But you focused more on learning than promoting yourself. You you focused on teaching, I guess, uh, with your articles and essays. You have um, quite a few essays, uh, which I always call articles, but tutorial writings that you've done on on sustainment in the backcountry you just never focused on promoting yourself it was always promoting getting outside well i guess that's true it's just my personality I, I, what else can i say yeah no i, I mean i'm honestly some of it's to your i wouldn't say downfall but i mean <laughs> to uh on a marketing standpoint you can tell you were not worried about promoting specific things other than people just getting out and having fun um you know learning how to survive and sustain themselves in the in the backcountry and in the wilderness more more than anything and that's when i came on board i'm like well we definitely need to change that shit like immediately and try to get the <laughs> the name and your knowledge out there and what you've done yeah i guess my position was the gear spoke for itself and uh you came in totally up speed on social media at at the time, which is a lot different from the Mountain Smith days and the early Kifaru days. And so, yeah, you made a big difference. I tried. I just wanted people to, to know, you know, more about it. And most of it was due to the fact of my uh, amazement that more people didn't know because the world had changed and, and uh, the gear would definitely speak for itself. But you have to get it in people's hands to to have it speak for itself. And the marketing changed is what happened from from years past to now, the marketing game is, is totally different. And, uh, you have to, it, it is weird because you can sell a much lesser product with an, m enough marketing money than you can a much uh, higher quality product with less marketing money. And that was something that was blaring at me daily. Cause I was looking at, at different products that had many, many marketing dollars behind them that were far lesser of a product than Kafaru. And I basically just tried to fix that or try to, to keep up because the, I mean, as you know, like I've kicked your packs off uh, glaciers, mountains, because I didn't want to pack it down. So I just kick it off and I come down the hill and put it back on. Actually, you kicked your pack off of mountain, didn't you, Chad? Yeah, last year I <laughs> got lucky enough to draw a goat tag. And that's, it was one of those situations where I knew I couldn't get the, the goat off the mountain on my back. And uh, so we kicked that pack a long <laughs> ways. <laughs> we catch up to it and then kick it again, and it and it came out all but new. I mean, it, I I just assumed. In fact, I had my buddy Mont with me, and we were talking about why well, it's a brand new pack, but it's it's going to be ruined after today. But it it I'll be using it this year. I mean, it's just it's literally new. It's awesome. So Chad's the guy went in with the, on the goats. Uh, for the mountain goat hunt with the pack goats when I was telling you, because Patrick's done that before. And we went and rented them and hiked in several miles and went on a went on a mountain goat hunt with pack goats. And then every morning we'd move those little bastards to their own new circle and <laughs> take off for the day. <laughs> They'll eat anything. Uh, it's, uh, goat hunting is kind of like that. It's precipitous. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We had one dickhead goat. I remember that. Remember? <laughs> he just beat up everyone. He was a mean goat. Everybody else was pretty cool, but we had one one, uh, one well, goat that just didn't like to play well. I forgot him. his name. Yeah, they had names for all of them. 
I remember Gandalf. That's the one I remember because he <laughs> he was actually the one that packed the goat off the mountain. And by the time we got back to the trailer, he could he was really feeling it. Yeah, he wasn't happy. No. Yeah, well, that that hunt you <laughs> goats are good to eat. You know, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get to that point. <laughs> okay. Well, when we when we went in there um, on that on that goat hunt, I don't know. We were a few miles in. Um, it was. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting into because I hadn't, um, you know, hunted that area. And it was much rougher than I had thought it was going to be. And it was cold. Um, that first night, it had to get in a single day. My contact case froze. I had to heat it up to put my eyeballs back in. And uh, all the water, the, you know, the creeks were freezing. And uh, I don't know. How cold do you think it was getting? I just know I woke up and there was icicles hanging from the top of my tent. <laughs> it was cold. But it got decent temperature during the day and then we got out of there i guess perfect blizzard came in the day we got out of there a blizzard came in but it was a it was an exciting it was an exciting hunt and that that was the first time chad got to experience firsthand my climbing skills which i do not think he was overly thrilled with um you had the ubu face a few times when i look back i'm not sure what the ubu face is actually (laughs) i I have an idea because i i saw myself in a picture too but (laughs) Aaron, I, I was, I literally, when we got to the top of one of those peaks, it was three steps and then breathe. And, it, and my legs were fine. I, physically, I felt like I was okay, but man, that altitude just wrecked me. And uh, Aaron kept looking back at me with that, are you, are you going to, are you going to come up here and hunt with me or am I just going <laughs> to be up here by myself? And uh, yeah, Aaron, for anybody that's listening thinks Aaron's can't hike it's it's not a show i i spent a lot of time staring at his ass up that mountain <laughs> it was a fun uh it Me was a fun too. trip yeah well we i mean one of the things um i don't uh, you never lifted patrick you just hiked and i pretty much i st- i lift but i really focus on keeping your legs uh, prepped for year round i mean i you know i don't think people understand i get it if you have to stick to a treadmill i mean i totally get it and actually chad came up I had a different name for it initially, but Chad has a treadmill that he, he got me. Uh, we call it the ex-wife now. Um, but it, it does pretty amazing with lateral movement, with helping out. But if, you, if you're not used to side hilling and, and prepping your legs with a pack on, it doesn't really matter what you do on flat ground. It, it's going to take a toll once you get back there. And so I just try to hike as, as much as I can with, a, with pack weight on. I don't run or anything like that. And, and you've pretty much been the same way. You just always hiked a bunch exactly i mean that's the best possible workout and uneven ground uh, keeps your calf muscles and all of that uh, up to up to speed whereas a flat treadmill even on an incline won't do that yeah i I will say this about aaron he's not honest we got at the top of the mountain (laughs) really and uh all we found was nannies and we were getting ready to head out the bottom and he said i'm going down the bottom and I knew I could go back the way we came and it would be painful, but I would make it. The way Aaron wanted to go, I didn't know if I would survive. It was a, I thought we get ledged in. <laughs> he got to the bottom. We had, we had radios. And so he read me and said, oh yeah, it's great down here. It's not, a, it's not bad at all. And, and <laughs> I've so heard I, this story. <laughs> yeah. I took off chasing him. He was full of crap. I took a couple end over ends. Uh, the ledge was pretty rough. I got back to camp and Aaron said, yeah, I flat out. I flat out lied to you because I knew you would, wouldn't come if I told you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad, Patrick. It was when we were at the top, I knew what we had to face to go back the other way. And so I started calculating 
okay, how much time, you know, how much time till darkness, um, what we'd be coming down because that one, we had basically this one specific goat crossed up and over the top at a certain time every day. And we were trying to make that climb before he made it. And we, and the climb we made to get there was bad. Um, but it was what, probably two miles or a mile and a half back down the ridge line and then straight down, um, I don't, for quite some time. And then bushwhacking it back to camp or we just shoot straight off the face of this thing um what do they call those alpine slides uh, it was bad and uh, uh and you'd walk right to the trail and head back to camp so chad's not actually i was lying a lot more than chad is letting on so <laughs> what i was i when i got down there i got close to where i thought man we should there's got to be a way to to not get cliffed out and make it through and he I probably dropped a thousand feet. Probably. I, I knew if I went down there after you, I would not be able to make it back <laughs> out. That's really what it boiled down to. I knew if I went down where Aaron was out, I that that night there's no way I could have made that climb back to the top. So for me, it was I can go all the way around, and it's gonna be it's gonna hurt, and I'll get into camp at two in the morning, but I'll I'll make it. If I go down there. I can't make the hike back out tonight I'll, and sleeping on the side of that hill <laughs> in that cold, I'd probably still be there. And speaking of that, Aaron's talking about how bad it was. One of the things that we found at the bottom of this chute was a dead goat. So even the goats died down there. <laughs> I found a big dead goat, like 52 inch type dead goat. Um, give you, and he wasn't that old. He's seven years old, so he didn't die old age. But I got to the bottom and I'm like, screw it. I'm going to have Chad just follow me. And I called him. I said, man, you can, I think you can make it just come down. And now keep in mind, it was one of those deals. You take a step and you'd slide 30, 40 feet, pivot, slide again, pivot, slide again through giant chunks of shale. Like where you hear guys say, I hunt in tennis shoes. That's the hunt they haven't been on yet because <laughs> it destroys footwear. So I get to the very bottom and I'm cliffed out and I'm panicking because he's coming. And I know for me, if I put everything I had, I could at least got to the top before dark and which put him back quite into dark <laughs> climbing this thing. So getting, I'm like getting cliffed out in the dark is not good. And so I'm, I'm running back and forth on these cliffs and I finally found that one shoot, which truly I wouldn't say saved our lives, but <laughs> save, I, save mine. <laughs> I, I was literally, when I got to that shoot, I'm like, no matter what it takes, I'm just going to slide and hope for the best because getting a little beat up is going to be better than climbing out of this. And we made it back. You made it back right at dark. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was, the, it, it was obviously a much better option than going all the way around. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, in reality, you look back on times like that and you just think, man, that was, I mean, the best word is epic. And, and, and it's something you remember. And, and, and this, this weird thing, uh, sometimes that pain and that suffering is so very rewarding. And if you haven't hunted uh, very hard and, and haven't spent that time burning some shoe leather, you, you don't get it. But if you have, it's something that's, that makes it worthwhile. It's part of the fun. Well, we got back and Mont looked at me. He's like, how'd that go? And I'm like, dude, that fucking sucked. I was like, I don't know. I might need to go back and find Chad. And he's like, is he coming? And I'm like, I could hear rocks falling behind me. He's coming. <laughs> I was like, that was bad. And he's like, how bad? I'm like, that's as bad as anything I've come down. I, and that last part was there's a, cr a creek, so it was that mossy, wet crap. Yeah. And, yeah, it like Pacific Northwest, step on moss and shoot down. But we we got back. Um, <laughs> the only other time he yelled at me like I was a, 
eight-year-old kid. We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, admittedly, I will probably die not of, of a grizzly or a mountain lion attack. I will die on cliffs. And there was a goat we were following, and uh, I thought for sure it was bedded below these cliffs. So I climbed out, which didn't seem that bad to me at the time, of this kind of finger ridge and start pushing boulders off to get the goat to come out. And I finally, I thought I heard him say something. I looked back, and he's like, get off of there now. And I was like, he's like, get over here now. And I'm like, what? I was scaring him to, to death out on that ledge. Aaron's minimizing the story. You know those movies? <laughs> <laughs> you know those movies where somebody's on a cliff, and the cliff starts to crumble underneath them, and they're running as a cliff falls apart behind them? That's almost how it was. Aaron pushed a boulder off, and half the cliff went, and it was a it was a spire that went out in the middle of this abyss. And as Aaron pushed this off, half the spire disappeared underneath <laughs> him. And, uh, yeah, and he just, like, nothing mattered. I just, I, I think he meant a, I, I haven't seen the pack that Kafara makes with a parachute in the back of it, but that's, he acted like he had a parachute because I was thinking we were going to be calling Amy to tell him that, 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 uh, Aaron is somewhere on that mountain and I ain't hauling him off. <laughs> that was an amazing hunt though. That was, it was a super cool, super cool hunt, but yeah, not to keep talking about that specific hunt, but you've used pack goats for years, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, I have a good customer friend, uh, who raises them and, uh, boy, you can carry a lot of good stuff into the back country with those little goats carrying the load. And they'll eat anything. You yeah. don't have to carry any food for them. They, they just eat whatever's there. We had to go to a class with this kooky dude. Um, <laughs> Careful, we got to raise goats again. Yeah, a no, goat, he was <laughs> goat wrangling class. Uh, you literally got we got certified on the goats, and yeah. he he gave us a class on how to handle them and what they don't they like water they don't like water you know he said they don't like creeks and you know find your dominant goat and just make sure he's in front and. I don't know. It's probably an hour long, half hour long class, and then I, I'm goat certified. He, hooray! <laughs> yeah. I didn't know there was such a such a thing as goat certified. Uh, I think that's not what they called it. Pack goat. It says pack goat. There's so many jokes we could make right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, the weight distribution was pretty common sense, right? We gave, yeah. had a scale and everything else, but I think the biggest thing is some of those goats. They he sent us in with food whatever's in that food and and some of the goats ate the hell out of it and other goats didn't really want anything to do with it and they gave us like a 18 inch spiral spike with a loop out of it and what they have like a 12 foot cord yeah so it looked like aliens came in because you'd screw that down and they'd eat everything in that circle and then you'd move them the next day and then they'd eat everything in that circle so we had circles of death where they ate everything and then moved them uh how many did we have I think we had six or seven. They were really personable. I mean, yeah. I, Gandalf really liked you. Yeah, Gandalf would hang out with me. He'd come <laughs> nudge me. And, the morning Aaron would pop his head out and Gandalf would pop out next to him. <laughs> I got of, him in the shelter. Not enough room in the tent for both of them. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Patrick, what do you think, uh, you know, overall with, um, you know, with the company, do you, um, as, uh, how would I put this, as far as, everything that you had done and we touched on this earlier was there anything that you think technology held you back from being able to do uh for even in back in the day where there's certain things that you just couldn't do because technology wasn't there yet um or anything uh, your mind never rests as far as inventing 
Uh, is there anything out of the blue? Of course, don't give me any secrets that you're going to pass on to me and somebody copy. But uh, was that a hindrance for you in the beginning, technology? Sure. Uh, by the way, uh, parachute uh, slot in, the, in Kifaru Pack sounds like a pretty good idea. <laughs> What's on that Especially cliff? if you hunt with Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just have to work around it. Uh, gosh, figure out how to get the performance you want by designing around the lack of technology. What was something that held you back the most from technology? You had to do the most working around with stoves or suspensions? Well, both. Uh, the problems with limberness of carbon fiber uh, took a long time to figure out how to get that weight savings uh, and still keep the performance where it needed to be. So that took a while to figure that out. Uh, the stoves in the, in the tents, uh, <laughs> yeah, that def definitely uh, took some work around. The, the fabric that I discovered uh, get the weight way down compared to 1.9 ounce ripstop nylon, which was, which was what I started out with. Uh, the, the fabric that we're using now came along and I, I found it and that, that, that was a big breakthrough. Uh, I remember the first stove, uh, that I made out of, uh, stainless steel, right? Very, very thin gauge. I couldn't get any of the local, uh, metal shops to even build me one. They said it won't work. It'll, it'll just warp minute you build a fire in there that thing's going to warp out of shape so i had to build the first one over my desk just, <laughs> just by hand you know no break no no shear no nothing and went out and uh built a fire in it and it did not warp out of shape <laughs> <laughs> so they had to overcome the lack of cooperation uh with the technology gurus that wouldn't believe it, but it did work. And so that took some doing because I had to do it myself. Yeah. So, and that, that was late 80s, mid 80s? I'd say about 86, maybe 85. So yeah. I was eight. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. on, uh, on how many like massive fires did you uh, uh, ignite initial testing or was it fairly smooth? Did you bu burn many shelters down initially or was everything fairly <laughs> smooth? Oh boy. Uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but I was looking for lighter weight stovepipe and I uh, tried aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it basically melt on you? Uh, it melted. <laughs> yeah, I could see flames uh, th through the pipe. <laughs> so that, that was a, that didn't work at all. And eventually we wound up with titanium instead of stainless steel on some of our stoves. And uh, so there's an example of abject failure. <laughs> I, I, I was lucky because the, the stove that we've been working on, um, I had uh, you to copy off of for initial footprint. <laughs> and it was still a pain in the ass. And I had a, I had a, a, a very detailed... Um, you know, blueprint to go off of from, from what you had already done. And, uh, it was, it was funny. We, we, we got a couple ladders outside six footers and, uh, we tied the stovepipe between the two ladders to keep it erect. And then there's a pile of firewood by Frank's desk. And so we were testing this in the middle of the winter 
And rather than freezing our asses off for initial testing in a, in a teepee, I chickened it. Uh, um, I guess what I would call chicken dicked it. I did not want to go freeze in the initial testing. So we'd run outside, stoke it up, and then watch it from inside. Uh, probably not approved by Patrick Smith, but it was the easiest way to do it and not freeze to death, figure out the leaking points on it, and then, you know, go back to the drawing board, torque it. And then, you know, when it was finally done, we were able, you know, we took it out and obviously tested it in a in a shelter. But I copied you off the base principle of it and then just torqued it some. So I can only imagine how many freezing cold nights you had jacking around with the initial design trying to get it right or how many times you smoked yourself out of a teepee from, from uh, you know, it's it's hard to get everything to not leak is the biggest thing is keeping it airtight um, and also getting the correct airflow, which is another thing you were able to help me out with. Because if you don't know as far as the, the size of the box compared to the size of the pipe and the length of the pipe, you can either have it burn out in seconds because the airflow is so good or you can smoke yourself out of a shelter because the airflow is not enough. And that's you saved me a lot of pain and heartache with that. Cough, cough. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> took a long time to figure out those ratios of the stove box size in cubic inches for, uh, compared to the stovepipe diameter and length to get the airflow where it should be. And uh, that took a very, very long time. It took years to get that all figured out. Yeah. Well, it was handy for me because I just took your you, – I could torque your base dimensions a little bit one way or another, and it wouldn't hurt anything. But if you uh, torque them too much, um, like I said, the first one I had made, I get cold, so I wanted more – I want more heat. Well, it would burn like the damned, like everything would be gone in 15 minutes and I, if, or less because of the airflow was, was so good, which isn't conducive to a long burn time. So there's a happy medium with all of this. But luckily, I figured most of that out from uh, inside my office looking at the stove and <laughs> a timer, which <laughs> was cheating. <laughs> I cheated. Yes, I definitely cheated. You remember the back four, the four acres yeah, and vacant lot uh, behind the building here? Yeah which doesn't exist anymore. There's a damn building there now. But uh, we used to go out there and pitch the the uh, tents and burn the stoves out there, which was only a 100-yard stroll yep. rather than in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was Those handy. were good times. That was the first time you saw me, I think, shoot a bow. So I, Patrick, yeah, it was like 85 yards, and he he poo pooed on archery a little bit when I when I first saw <laughs> him. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> did. I I from what I remember, and I might not be remembering correctly. I do not think that you had realized how lethal you could be with a bow. Um, well, you've always, I think, I guess, good question. You've always wanted me to shoot a gun more than I do, um, or encouraged it, I guess. Well. See, that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> Long pause. All right, I'll speak for myself. Sarah and I eat game meat, period. That's all we eat. Yeah. And uh, I like to fetch it. And so a rifle always made more sense to me. I mean, I, I can fetch an elk at 400 yards. You still can't. Don't lie to me. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't at 400. But, uh, but uh, over 100, Aaron can do it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're a hell of an archer. You don't have any difficulty keeping the freezers full with that with that bow. That recurve, that's a par four now at 100 yards. I got to scoot closer. The, the recurve. I don't, I don't, you were, I think when you asked me about going to a recurve, you were, I could see in your eye, you were like, why would you make it harder? But, uh, 
I've been it's been good with that. Um, but I, I recently got um, a 6.5 PRC set up to do some some rifle hunting, and I'm still physically fine. It's not like I need to go to a, a rifle because I can't uh, you know shoot anything with a bow. But what I try to explain to people, I'm a hardcore bow hunter, but if I couldn't fill all my seasons with bow hunting, I would grab a gun without blinking an eye. I don't, I'm not, I, I like the challenge of a bow, but I, I like to eat meat and I like to go hunting. And so if my schedule, if I couldn't fit a bow hunt in a specific time frame and there's an opening and I go on a rifle hunt, I would easily grab a rifle. I've just been lucky and always just grabbed a buddy's rifle at the time. I think when I shot my moose, I said, Patrick, you ever heard of this round? It was like a 338 Alaskan or something, AK. It was a round you'd heard of. I'd never heard of. It was um, custom, but I think it was a 338 Alaskan. Lapua? No, it wasn't a Lapua. It was um, it was some kind of an Alaskan name on it. Don't make me screw this up any worse than I am. There's going to be people <laughs> emailing, hey, dummy, it was It's this. not registering yet. It was, um, it, you knew it at the time, and I'm just yeah. hacking it up, but it's a form of a 338 but i just grabbed my buddy's gun and then uh when i shot that grizzly i shot that with a 308 at an ungodly distance with like a one and a half to four loophole and uh it's like patrick i shot it with a gun and i, I you had a glimmer in your eye like maybe he's gonna pick up a gun you know because I, <laughs> I, on that i just couldn't get it done with a um you know with a bow uh and they were banning it but you you do all your own hand loads you do i mean you've loaded your own um uh, pistol and rifle rounds forever haven't you yeah Years. just about forever yeah yeah you get geeked up on that i get geeked up <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the mysteries of hand loading are are deep and wide and i, I love it yeah well cool well uh patrick i don't want to take up any more of your time but i i i really wanted to get you down here one just as a thank you for everything you've done for me and then two people to to hear your uh, wonderful voice because I've been hounded about getting you back on the podcast. So um, even though we've we've purchased the company from you, you have to promise me you'll still come back and chit chat with us on the podcast. And in general, I'll, I'll come up there and have to conk you in the head. <laughs> I'll come down to town and do it anytime. Right. I, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate it, Chad. What are you thinking? I'm just excited. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, this is this is an adventure. I think that has been good for both of us. I'm very appreciative of, of what you've accomplished and I want you to know that uh, we're just going to keep trying to push the same quality and product that you've been building. And, you know, one of the best stories I have heard from you is that you, when you go into the backcountry, you take uh, different products, cloth or stays or whatever else, and, and an industrial stapler and build packs <laughs> around a campfire trying to figure out which works best. And that's that's a far cry from this day and age of CAD systems and computer generated stuff and I feel like you can't really replace the the processes that you you have that are just it's just awesome everything you built it's really amazing well I'm proud of you guys and I wish you all the luck and I know that you'll be very successful and I'll be around well we appreciate it so um, I guess I'll wrap this up Patrick thank you again for for everything thanks for coming down today and uh, I guess thanks for entrusting uh, all of us with with your company that you've worked so hard to to build. And um, I will, I personally, obviously, I'll, we all will, but we'll 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 do our best to not let you down because uh, that is the last thing I want to do. So thank you again. Thank you, fellas.